Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to episode 20 of the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. Uh, I'm Phil Walker, Editor-in-Chief, whatever that means, of Wisdom Cricket Monthly Magazine. And I'm joined at the Oval today in the Mark Church Invitational Commentary Box where we record this thing by Ben Gardner, Wisdom Writer and Midfield General. Hi. And the writer, musician, indie sorcerer and inventor of the podcast, Mr. Felix White. <laughs> inventor of the podcast, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's all. That's the only reference I'll make from here on in, uh, yeah. gentlemen. Welcome to the show. Let's let's crack on, Felix. Uh, what is your moment of the week? My moment of the week, Phil, is literally a moment. Yeah, it was last night. Uh, Chris Jordan's stunning caught and bowl catch and return. If no one's seen that yet, he's got this. He's developed this knack of not only beating batsmen for the pace, which he was doing in that T Twenty, but also bowling these cutters into the deck, which intentionally mm. sort of slow down on the pitch. And, who was it? Who was batting? Who was it? The other end? I can't remember who. Was it Bravo? Darren Bravo. I yeah, think well, it was yeah. Bravo. So he's already through the shot, and Jordan's got a presence of mind when he balloons it back to dive to his right and take it at full stretch. No, no one else in the England side could have made that ground. <laughs> Maybe exactly. Joffrey Archer hasn't when he comes into the side, but it was. It was brilliant to see. Yeah, and you get them there. They're often like reflexes, those, aren't they? Where you kind of stick hand out with this. And he has like, history of that as well. Yeah, but that's, there was like the change of direction, which is so hard to do, and you follow through, and then the steps cross, and then like a huge dive and the grab. Yeah. Right. But I thought it was a really um, symptomatic of what a great cricketer Chris Jordan has made himself, actually. He's been really creative in his survival because he got cast aside, didn't he, in that, those test teams where uh, he was surplus with Stokes and Wokes and whatever, doing similar jobs. Yeah. But he's kind of. Uh, behind the surface may turn himself into this really incredible three-dimensional cricketer which I think he doesn't get enough credit for. Yeah and he's not part of the 50 overside, which which is slightly odd I suppose but then it's an embarrassment of riches I guess with this group. Oh. Yeah I mean I don't know if he's in England's best 15 but it's just weird he's got so few chances. I mean they've picked David Willey who bowls basically just the first six overs or the, well, in the power play and, and nowhere else and it's just weird they haven't tried Jordan to see if he could sort of add the same kind of value bowling those six overs at the death and maybe not much else, but then he 
in right. the field and hitting hitting big at the end. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like it was telling, especially if you only tuned in a few years ago, he was just bowling in line and length in hmm. short form, and now he's got all that variation. So why can't he be a Tom Curran type character in the future of England cricket? Fancy, why not? Just rounding it up, this was uh, the first T20 uh, last night of what's been a pretty thrilling tour all round. Actually, of course, you know all three formats playing out in the West Indies and. Um, the ODI leg of it mm. ended over the weekend with a kind of classic comic capitulation. Yeah. Um, 400 plus followed by 100 and zip all out. Um, yeah. The whole game done in 40 overs to to end that series 2-2. Um, impressions of, of England's kind of sublime to the inept, Ben Gardner? Well, I mean, the thing that struck me most really was just how brilliant it was to see O'Shane Thomas like bowling fast. I mean, it's... Who, who we've been shouting about. Yeah, for well, a while. you especially. I mean, do, do, do you want to do a bit on him? Yeah, come on, Phil. Oh, he's, he's, he's just a joy, isn't he? He's just a big, swarthy, broad-shouldered, heavy-duty Joe Lewis-style uh, brutish beast who's who's not in the best of shape. And and uh, Jason Holder said that to me when he when I interviewed him just before Christmas. He's got to get his body ready for international cricket. He's maybe carrying a bit of not necessarily timber but muscle. But when he when he gets himself right for international cricket, then there's a hell of a lot to work with there. He's fast, he's mean, uh, and he won that game five for twenty odd, I think, in in five overs or so. And on a, on a quick pitch with a bit of bounce, England were found wanting a little bit. And and if there is a concern, it's maybe around that that they're not adjusting quick enough to. Alien conditions. Yeah, I guess there was no Roy, and he maybe is England's or one of England's best and like purest players of pace bowling. He just knows, like he's not scared of it. He can sort of uh, swing through the line and he does it well. I guess the the thing that really worried me. I mean, the top order, Joe Root is going to fail on occasion. He's probably well, definitely England's most consistent ODI batsman ever. Yeah, but that lower order, which has been such a strength, isn't such anymore. Like Mo and Ali is just out of form. Liam Plunkett with the bat is not. Like when he came inside, he was like, "There's the game against Sri Lanka where he scored that last ball six. Mm-hmm. It's just not, not clicked really. I guess that, and they they've been able to get England sometimes. It looked like in Australia, Chris White's played that brilliant innings, and we got up to two hundred, having been nine for six, nine for five or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that seems to be like it seemed that we were being able to drag ourselves up. They've still got it in them, haven't they? Yeah. They've still got it in them. They were twenty for six at home a year or two ago, and mm. they've still got it. It's amusing that. Uh, in all the rightful plaudits that have been rained down on the England ODI side over the last couple of years, the last game before the World Cup squad is announced <laughs> is a Hornicks. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's almost, they're keeping us honest here, aren't they? They're mm. ensuring that we don't get too carried away. There were a lot of articles written in the build-up to that final game about the balance between bat and ball has become horribly yeah, skewed. Yeah. Uh, and just as we're starting to get you know, characteristically uptight about about the state of cricket yet again, it's thrown off course <laughs> and a game's done in 40 overs. What's your impression of it, Felix? Where do you think this side is? I, I think, personally, as, a, as an England fan, we, you know, we have swanned into, especially the last sort of couple of 50 over world tournaments in our country, as if we kind of own the place, really, and we were undone, we've been undone, and it does te- is telling that we are capable of getting bowled out for 100, no matter how many people are packed into that yep. and batting order. So my worry would be that would, would happen in a semi-final or something here at the Oval. So I think it's good for that. As you say, keeping them honest, I think it's good for them to get beat a few times like that. Um, because, yeah, we don't want that to happen. It'll be heartbreaking if this team doesn't win the World Cup this time, wouldn't it? Yeah, it will be. Uh, I think that sense of anxiety is building, bubbling up <laughs> quite nicely. Bit. The more that people... in 
positions of power in English cricket claim uh, with a sort of tremble in the voice that this is cricket's big year, the more uptight we automatically become. Right. It's yeah. either going to rain for six weeks yeah. or we're going to get knocked out, you know, stink the place out and don't even make the semi-finals. And I think the thing is that's kind of cricket a bit. The Like England do collapse, but then so does like every team sometimes. Um, but I guess that's just the worry is that you come up against a, like a young fast bowler who has a game of his life in a semi-final. Or something like that, and then and then that's it. That's your tournament done. Yeah. And I mean, I, I know the mm. tournament's sort of built up to allow teams to have a couple of shockers because sure. I guess India have got to got to get to semis as much as yeah. England do. But um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, there it's is still on the no day though. Exactly. You know, it's the Hassan Ali syndrome, isn't yeah. it? You know, England turned up at Cardiff two years ago, the best team in that Champions Trophy, and got done on a, on a track that was tailor made for the, the opposition. It will be intriguing. I'm sure we're gonna gonna bore ourselves silly in the build-ups of the yeah, World Cup. But you know, um, like, like the Windies are capable of winning that. Yeah, tournament. yeah. You know, Pakistan are capable of winning that tournament. There's six, seven teams that could win it. So I think it's going to be really exciting yeah. competition. And, and one of the other sides as well, who you know, I don't think anyone's going to predict they're going to win it or even necessarily get to the semi-finals, but they will have a an impact on the tournament. If is Afghanistan as the tenth team in this World Cup, tenth and final team, infamously. Um, Ben Gardner, your moment of the week is, is stemming from their recent series, their current series, in fact, against the Irish. Yeah, well, it's, it's again from yesterday. Uh, some short memories in here. But it's, uh, uh, Andy Balburnie scored an incredible 145, not out to steer a chase of uh, 200. And, well, they, they finished 260 for six. We scored what like, well over half the runs. You've been covering this, right? You've been watching this. Yeah, do, doing it for four on an entirely Ireland, legal actually, which is nice. You kind of... Uh, yeah. <laughs> No, that that but it was it was it's on YouTube. In fact, sorry, it, it, it is legal. It, is, it yeah. actually is legal. Um, but it's yeah, live on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's oh. brilliant. Yeah. But anyway, and Andy, Andy Balboni and, and Ireland, I guess. So they've obviously they pale in comparison to Afghanistan a bit. Like their story is obviously not as emotive and like in in any other time, this would be it would be an incredible story. The Irish sure. one, if you look at where they were like fifteen years ago to where they are now. Um, but I think just because I guess also because Afghanistan is so good, I think people diminish that the Ireland side now is still like pretty good. And mm. I think the thing that so this this has been a really tough tour in Afghanistan. They conceded like the highest ever T Twenty title. This like twenty year old hit one hundred and sixty two. Says I. Yeah, he's brilliant. Yeah, and then like that's the kind of thing that like it's Irish. They don't have that that wealth of the resource of talent there. Mm. But they did kind of stick it in kind of every single game. Like um, they made only one hundred sixty one in the first ODI and kind of came close defending it and similar in the T20 series they were sort of they've just got a knack of kind of sticking in games I remember there was the ODI series in England when England made like 340 but still Ireland kind of they don't yeah, tend yeah. to wilt in those situations and that's what they kind of showed again yesterday that they're, they're kind of if, if, if they were in a World Cup they would also be a team that would kind of stick in contests enough to kind of cause a few upsets and that, mm-hmm. Balberni as well he's the kind of player that he's like it's kind of a big hope I guess like after Ed Joyce retires, he's the one they kind of point to as like, he's the guy who's going to carry it on. But he hadn't really like delivered on that. He's sort of averaging under 30. You know, he's got a pair on test debut. Like he'd scored. Played a bit of middle six. Yes, yeah, but not good enough to make the cut yeah. there. Um, so is he currently without a county then? Uh, yeah, no, no. He's, so he's playing the first class stuff in Ireland now. So he, right. he, might, be, he might be done in county cricket now, I guess. But um, And he's a correct type player. Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. And you can see when he, when he plays at his best, he's sort of, you can see why he's so highly rated. It just kind of, hasn't happened enough and you kind of think right. uh, another country he probably would have been told to at least go and make runs in domestic cricket before coming back and getting another chance whereas Ireland have always had to kind of make do with what they've had like they've turned George Dockrell has become a he's, number a, he's six batting all round it yeah. 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 and he's doing it really well he got, he got a lovely half century yesterday he played really well but right. ba- Balburnie looks like if, if this can be the moment where he becomes that 
that guy that's averaging sort of 45 from ODI cricket, he can be the guy they kind of build around. Because they've got Paul Sterling as well, has had a brilliant tour. He's a... So, so you've... You've done quite a lot of work around the Irish setup, and as mm. you say, you know, that's work with Cricket Ireland. What is the general mood around their cricket and culture with regards to the first class structure that is now up and running? They obviously have test status, they've got a Lord's Test match in the offing in the next few months. Um, but there are questions around uh, retention of talent and, and kind of being able to recompense that talent as well. Yeah, well, I guess I haven't I haven't seen too much of specifics to say, but the, the, there's the huge news today of the uh, this European Super League sort of thing being announced with uh, six teams, two from Scotland, two from the Netherlands, and two from Ireland, oh, who right. are going to play a they're going to play a T20 kind, almost like a franchise thing, okay. uh, which should, sounds very sponsorable, yeah, uh, like could be a bit of a money spinner, and also a way to get those guys playing more cricket. I think the thing the thing about Irish cricket is as much as they are kind of hashby dreamers in some way, if you're going to try and make it in a game where everything's almost like set against you. They, they are quite realistic as well. Warren Dutram, I think you've spoken to a bit and I was, well, he's a really impressive guy, I think, mm. and like talks well about how they can use the scarcity of test cricket as like a marketing point, which is something that's mm. not really recognised in many places around the world that scarcity can be mm. a selling thing. So if they just, yeah. they kind of, they focus on those few things because they know there's not a huge market of people watching it year round mm-hmm. and uh, try and make, make the most of those. So I, th- I think, I think there's, but the, I guess the hope is that they kind of become Europe's New Zealand, sort yeah. of. Um, yeah. Like, the, I guess the, the lesser sibling in some ways compared to England, but capable of when teams come over there playing a couple of test matches um, and then a lot of limited over stuff maybe mm-hmm. and, uh, and like upsetting a couple of teams that way. That's what the dream, odd, I guess. What an odd place to find yourself, though, to be playing your first test match and not involved in a World Cup. Yep. Mm. Yep. Bizarre. That's it, so cricket, that, isn't it's, it? It's utterly yeah. back to front. Yeah, um, we've done we've done the ten the ten test uh, ten team World Cup many times. We'll be doing it again. Yeah. I, I don't think there's any more no, no, to we don't say. Need to cover that any more detail. I'm that. just saying, just yeah. making the point. No, you're you're, you're bang strange. on. You are bang on. But, anyway, <laughs> there must no, be some not. kind of method in the madness. I'm not sure there is. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, my moment of the week, as yeah. you're asking me. Yes, please, Phil. Uh, it's it's that boy again. It's that 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 New Zealand skipper Kane Williamson who who's, who's made another double hundred. Um, cruised to uh, an unbeaten double against Bangladesh um, at a game, first test match in New Zealand, but uh, after Tammy Mickball's kind of whirlwind brilliant run of all 100 on day one, which we spoke about on the pod last week, um, New Zealand replied with 700 and plenty and Williamson inevitably held it all together. Uh, He's now seven points shy of Coley in the test match rankings table. Um, if he gets runs in the upcoming second test, then he's almost certain to overtake Coley, which is incredible in and of itself. And one can read into these rankings as much as, as you like, but Coley has felt to be on a different plane for the yeah. last year or two. And yet this this boy, who is inscrutable, uh, modest, humble, uh, impenetrable, really, uh, continues just to just to just to churn them out week after week and doing them with a kind of sort of understated class mm. which really really strikes you you know if, if Coley is one side of, of of the coin of greatness then he's he's the other you know mm. uh but and, and, and he's also getting better as well like he's he's scoring quicker since he became captain he's um he's sort of putting together those kind of dominant things and he's kind of I think he's kind of dragging the others up with him like Tom Latham has become a, a really class test yeah, batsman kind yeah. of under his under his wing, Jeet Raval got his first Test hundred. They're like building a really solid team in his. It's image, fair to I say think. 
Williamson did come into a pretty decent situation there, 267 yeah. for well, one exactly, when he walked yeah. out. But yeah, and but it's, it, in, it's an interesting point that you make really. Captains generally, they take a trade-off when they take, take the job. They take the armband, they lose five digits on their average yeah. for the glory of being the boss. Williams, but then there are others that, that buck that trend, you know, Gooch and so on. And, and, uh, and Williamson, it seems to be going down that road. I remember when uh, we interviewed uh, Brendan McCullum of, a year or two ago, and he mm. said uh, he, is, he is the dream son-in-law, Kane Williamson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's absolutely that. immaculate in everything that he does. But yeah. he also said he's not a big shouter or talker, but there was one particular match where they were up against it, New Zealand, and he was still just one of the ranks, you know, batting three, but not a vice captain or anything. And just there was a hush in the dressing room and Williamson started talking. And by the end of it, everybody was completely wrapped with what he was saying. Brilliant. And he doesn't have, he doesn't give off that kind of external aura, but clearly in that dressing room and dressing rooms, they respect runs and wickets more than they respect anything else. Uh, but there's a kind of, a kind of working intelligence there at the heart of Williamson. You just got to look at the way that he bats, the way that he adjusts to different situations and conditions to know that there's a really alert kind of mind in there. Um, and it's become a fascinating sort of four pronged jewel, really, you know, with, with Root, Williamson, Smith, and of course, mm. Coley to see who is the preeminent test batsman of the time. Uh, Coley naturally will come out in, in most of these polls at, at the top, but it's not as clear cut as that. Mm. And we're actually trying to cover that in the upcoming magazine as best as we possibly can. Oh, well. Do you know what I also like about Williamson is that the more he's got into his captaincy, his beard's got fuller. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's very symbolic, isn't it? Yeah. And it's, he's a man now. Yeah. He is a man now. <laughs> What's your definitive Kane Williamson uh, moment, Phil? Mine is undoubtedly, uh, I was slightly drunk um, about midnight when the Australia series was beginning. And it was at Brisbane yeah. a year or two ago. Mm. And I was just... I was just going to watch it just for an hour or so. And Williamson was a few not out overnight, maybe 20 or 30 not out overnight. And Australia were bossing the game, as they always do at the Gabba. And Williamson uh, batted for a session uh, and was 100 not out at lunch, having made sort of 60 or 70, maybe 80 in that session. And it was in the face of Stark, who took a lot of wickets in that mm. game. It was masterful, utterly masterful. And he was playing as the greats do. He was playing a different game to what was happening right. at the other end. And I'll, I'll never forget it. It was, as, it was as pure and technically immaculate innings as I'll ever see. Mine, mine is actually. There's a, there's a, it's just a, a tiny clip, but he, um, he's, he plays a cover drive and he's like chewing gum, I guess. Maybe got it from McCullum, but he blows a bubble at the exact instant that he uh, hits the cover drive. <laughs> That's lovely. You can't argue that. Yeah. That is lovely. And I guess they say you're supposed to, you're supposed to try and exhale as you're playing a shot. It sort of is relaxes that right? you. And that's, uh, that's, that's, that, that was how he did it in I that can instance. I can give but, you mine. Yeah. The last World Cup in Australia, uh -huh. they were chasing quite a meagre oh, yeah. total in New Zealand. Against, against the Australia. Aussies. And they suddenly had that collapse. They were nine down. It's one of those situations where Australia pulled it out of nothing here again. And they ne eventually needed, I think it was six to win with one wicket and he's shepherding the strike. And he had the ball to hit, I don't know, it might have been Stark or someone, back over his head for six, flat down the ground. And we're thinking that is the mo make, the making of a man, isn't it? That takes some bottle to get those runs in one strike. Incredible. Um, yeah, he is superb. Just one other thing on, on McCullum's interview with us when he was talking about Williamson. He said they played a day-night game and, you know, the balls are funky, aren't they? They're orange or pink or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, Williamson and McCullum were talking mid-over and Williams said to him, yeah, so the the swing is on the on the the kind of embossed crown side of the ball, and they're scuffing up on the other side. So just keep an eye 
on, on the crown side of the ball. And McCullough's saying, I can barely see it, mate. I can barely <laughs> see it full stop. Starks bowling 150k. I can barely see it. And he's actually identified which side of the ball is scuffed and which isn't as it's coming down midair with literally 0.45 seconds to react to it. And McCullough just said, Look, I, this kid is working on a level that I don't yes. understand. You know. It's been good to have him here, isn't it, for the World Cup? It certainly will. It certainly will. Um, we mentioned Australia in, in passing. Uh, two naught down. Yeah, but against again, India, and they and they lost at the return series in Australia. But I, I guess a sort of positive two not down. They came within eight runs of of being them. They limited them to two forty or something. Uh, so I mean, and it's just when you add Warner and Smith back to that team, they are still going to be frustrating as it is contenders. I guess mm. uh, Coley's fortieth ODI hundred as well at the age of thirty, which is <laughs> obviously football zero. Yeah, yeah, thirty thirty and a half he is. Thirty and a half. He made forty. Does he not do anything else? Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, it's just, it is just ridiculous. I mean, I guess this was a, a slightly different one as well, and it was sort of a holding together of first innings rather than a a big chase or, or underpinning a big title. But he, he can do it all. It's no surprise that, that he's got that sort of got got that in him. Uh, I guess the big thing for India as well is that Vijay Shankar. You heard of him? Yeah, he, uh, he got near to Plays our... sits up. No, that's sorry. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, that's <laughs> lame. Sorry about that. Harrison. Sorry about that. He, he, he got he got nearly fifty and kind of almost looked. He looked about. It was outscoring Kohli when they were at the crease, and uh, he saw another seam bowling around her. He's not in the Hardik Pandya mould. I guess Pandya's sort of. I guess he's just Stokes and Shankar's almost your your Wokes and you're, okay. you're sort of your, mm. your steady Eddie and you're. Uh, and so he's, he's a less sexy Pandya then. Yeah, I, I guess so. But he's mm. uh, he could really do a job from over here. He also bowled the last over when they needed a few to win, but it was it was neck and it was in the balance. He took two wickets and three balls. So he's a yeah he, he he's an, just another piece of their puzzle, I guess. If they're going to go with a. Like with AC bowling around, they've got options there, which I guess is encouraging. So, so Smith and Warner's return is imminent, and and from a personal point of view, it can't happen soon enough. Um, looking at an Australian batting lineup with Peter Hanscom as its middle order pivot mm-hmm. makes me feel uncomfortable. I think I think English observers of a certain age have a kind of Stockholm syndrome when it comes to Australia that you end up kind of developing mm. an affection. Uh, and a devotion to your to your your abusive captors almost, and 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 I I'm uncomfortable with Australia being so flimsy. I want to see them back. I want to see these big beasts back, uh, and I want to see them coming over to England in June and and having every single part of their arsenal available to them, and then we'll see how how it all plays out. How do you see it, Felix? These two coming back? I absolutely agree with you, man. I think it's going to be such a shame if the Ashes don't doesn't involve those two. Yeah, we need it, and the story's building towards that isn't it Smith and Warner coming back and then mm-hmm. whatever happens mm-hmm. will happen yeah. um, but I'm buzzing for that they, they're going to be back aren't they surely yeah there's no question now I don't think any any kind of murmurs about, around Warner's uh, suitability to come back into that dressing room culture I think have been put to bed I think pragmatism has definitely won the day here um, and you know they need his his runs and is Bancroft going to be involved is that not well Bancroft made made He's made some runs. Yeah, he? he made a hundred and a seventy or something like that in the first Sheffield Shield game that he returned into. Uh, so he's he's in form as well. Yeah, they've they've they because I guess the series against Sri Lanka, a lot of them made runs. They've kind of it's thrown up a fair bit. I guess it'll be interesting to see who tries to get county deals. He's kind of not going to be in that World Cup squad right. and see if they can uh, make a claim. Then um, it's, they've got some because they, yeah they've got a fair few options off the field. Got Joe Burns made a hundred. Mark Harris impressed yeah, against yeah, yeah, yeah. India. They've got Matt Renshaw who's kind of fallen a bit out of favour. but was obviously brilliant 
here last summer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I guess the thing is with Smith and Warner, can you think of an analogue uh, with another like player who's been out for so long and had to come back into such a high-pressure situation? Yeah, with the bat? Uh, yeah, or with the ball, but... Well, I guess there was Warren who who was... What did he come back into, though? Did he have a, a sort of betting in period? Or no, he... no, he came back just as lethal as he was before, um, albeit with a kind of reconstructed shoulder. But but what, what was the occasion, I mean, that he came back for? I can't remember offhand. I can't remember specifically what he came back into. But, yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, there won't be question. any any warm-up games. There yeah. won't be a kind of a, a cheeky little sort of Sri Lankan two-test series or whatever <laughs> yeah. at the end of a summer. They'll be coming into a World Cup and, a, and an Ashes. And mentally, as much as... A... As, as much as batting-wise, it's got to be pretty tough. Yeah. I mean, they've had their injury problems while they've been away as well, so it's no sure thing they'll be able to come back in and mm-hmm. do as they've been doing. As, as, a, as a piece of theatre, though, it needs them, doesn't it? Yeah. And I think, like, I mean, without being around the bush, it will be quite flat if they're not involved. Yeah. Well, whatever happens with them, really, yeah. it's going to be a great story. So. Yeah. So yeah, it, yeah. I can't recall a, an Ashes summer with the Ashes on, on an undercard quite as much as it is at the moment. Mm. It's maybe it's part Ash's fatigue. Maybe it's the narrative around the absolute central value of of a fifty over win, of a discernible world title win for yeah. for English cricket. I don't know what it is, but <coughs> but it's an it's an odd thing. Normally we'd be thinking of the Ashes and everything else being detailed, but it's it's swung around, and it's all about that World Cup, really. Yeah, I don't doubt if you ask those at the ECB if they if they were being honest themselves, they'd pick a World Cup win over the Ashes. There is no question of that. Yeah. There is no question of that at all. Mm, There's the uh, the women's ashes as well, which, yep. we, uh, which we shouldn't forget, and uh, it's good, so that's a multi-format one. Yeah, T20s, good and moves, a single test match, and three ODIs. Um, and they're warming up okay at the minute. They're warming up okay. I guess they lost the ODI series to India, which I think you discussed last week. They won the the T, the first T20. Uh, Tammy Bowen made a fifty. Danny White got some runs, and I think Heather's was the gem. She scored forty of twenty, six and sector boundaries, and she's uh, she's become really dependable in. T20 cricket and had a brilliant summer of Western Storm and uh, is able is kind of able to do that that adaptable mid lord role of being able to rebuild but also be a finisher when, mm-hmm. when she needs to. Um, I mean, I guess Australia are probably going to its favourites. They beat New Zealand comfortably three nil in an ODI series that just finished, um, and they are they do just seem to have kind of reclaimed that aura that they kind of lost around the World Cup time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess England. And they've got like a young group of bowlers, especially coming through, who might not be as well known to the Aussies. It's going to be interesting anyway. I mean, I'm, again, we're going to talk about that mm. loads between now and then. And England also have lots. They've got two more T20s, uh, three ODIs, and three T20s in, in Sri Lanka. So there's there's like plenty to to get through between now and then. But it's uh, yeah. I, 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 how do you see it shaping up, Phil? I think it's becoming increasingly hard to see past Australia mm. that has a domestic and professional structure that is so far advanced of, of all others in the world, across yeah. the world. And, you know, Claire Connor in, in the current issue of Wisdom, Wisdom Cricket Monthly magazine says this herself. She says it, it's, 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 a, it's a tough thing to overcome. You know, we have 20-plus professional cricketers and Australia have 120 and growing. So how you balance that playing field is very difficult. Um, you will always have teams that emerge that congeal at the right time and come together and gel at the right time but they will be always be the exceptions against the rule until you can find a, a playing field that is a little bit more leveled off mm. but that's probably probably a discussion for another time yeah, I, I would say the main thing is just being able to watch a, a women's test match can be such a treat they're so rare and I mean 
even even I guess the, the one the last ashes was when you look back on it, it's sort of a bit of a bore draw, but it just didn't didn't feel like it at the time. It feels like such an occasion. Mm-hmm. I guess one of the things where scarcity again just is such a powerful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Felix, uh, this this upcoming year, uh, you are always in and around cricket. You yes. know, uh, lurking in the the corridors of power. Um, <laughs> okay. um, I know a great man. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what are you What are you doing personally in in, in the game over the, the next few in the months? Cricket, well, at the moment, um, thanks for asking, Phil. Pleasure. Um, other than lurking in the corridors with power, yeah, I'm working on the soundtrack to film The Edge, yes. which Barney Douglas has made, right? Which mm. is concerning the the great England team that went to Australia and won over there, and those sort of disparate individuals that came together weren't necessarily best friends off the field, relied on each other on it, mm-hmm. and then kind of fell out. Like a sort of like as if they were Genesis or something. Some sort. Of thing. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a story of them, but actually behind that, it's of course individual tale of each of themselves and actually um, how hard it is to compete constantly at that level. I'm just thinking of Genesis now. I'm thinking who, who's Mike Rutherford and Phil who's Phil Collins. Yeah, but that's maybe for another time. Um, yeah. um, but that, uh, so, so it's an epic story, then, isn't it? Really, and they're all yeah. involved in it, telling their side of it. Okay. Basically, it's a it's a joy, it's a triumph of Test cricket as well. It's selling the game. Yeah. But um, people that don't love the game are going to really be interested in this because of the personal stories. So this is what I was going to ask you: Does it have that crossover? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it's about mental health, really, and the the vulnerability of finding yourself in that situation, having that much pressure on you, and feeling that responsibility to perform for your country and all that kind of thing. Yeah. There's a lot of very candid interviews. Okay. And I guess because Peterson stands out as the sort of the like the personality from that team, but they all do have their kind of distinct, distinct roles as a sort of like, like, a, like almost like a superhero team in a way. You know, well, that's like it. A, of what I haven't seen the full film yet, but from what I can see, the heartening thing about it is this isn't a film about that Peterson saga. That's mm. a small element of it, but it's about a wider number of people. It reminds me, we infamously were down in Australia for that that disaster of a tour a year or two ago, and I remember saying to you that. Um, one thing that struck struck me is the lack of clear, defined, strong personalities in that in Joe Root's side. Mm-hmm. Uh, how they were, and this is no criticism, but they were kind of quite insular, quite introverted characters. Yeah. Um, they were, uh, and this is no no fault of them at all, but there weren't any obvious driving force leaders in that mm. in that group, and that Joe was doing it a lot on his own, obviously. Stokes wasn't there with him, he would have played a huge part in that. But if you compare that setup with the setup that you're talking about, the 10 11 setup, you mm. had big characters and big personalities throughout that, throughout that side. It's yeah. interesting as well, you say that they didn't necessarily get on off the pitch. I've, Jimmy Anderson gave an interview to, to Wisden last year when he said that as well. He said, Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was all kinds of stuff going on behind the scenes, but fundamentally, uh, we backed each other when, when push came to shove. Right, exactly. And, and a lot of kind of alpha-like characters in that dressing room. Yeah. With Strauss, of course, the, the you know the kind of the overseer. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot. There's a really great um, scene uh, where they pat them off pre-ashes to what the players assume is maybe like a couple of speeches about whatever probation is going to be. Right. And they basically bag and tag and put them in vans and send them to the middle of Bavaria in a sort of. Um, Team strengthening, things, right. sleeping in tents, carrying bricks around, and being like pushed to their utter limits yeah. type thing, which 
Is this when, when Tremlett broke Anderson's, Anderson's rib? Tremlett broke Anderson's rib on it. There's, a, there's still a lot of disparity over people saying whether it was any good for them or not. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but there's loads of great little sort of uh, off-piste stories sure. uh, that develop across the film, which is really nice. So it's going to tell us quite a lot that we didn't know, you think? Oh, it's told loads, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, great. and I'm currently trying to make um, sort of atmospheric sound beds and like rock songs to... Um, different moments of it so that's the things I'm up to yeah. at the moment <laughs> naturally enough quite a slow build I guess yeah. Yeah. do you know what you've just reminded me you're talking about Joe Root's side mm. do you remember when we were out there in Sydney and I thought uh, you were talking about the, the difference in the personality of this side to that side but there's, but there's a kind of inherent goodness about this team oh, entirely like moral goodness about this team and we spoke about it in Sydney it was such a small moment but it's quite really unfolded in Joe Root's persona where he was in that last day in Sydney they were getting battered and he got really sick overnight yeah he was batting to save a test match on his own basically farming the strike and he came back out to bat really really sick and I can't remember who he hit but he hit someone flush on the helmet at short leg um sweeping and his yeah. instinct yeah was he turned to the guy and went sorry you're right yeah and we, we both said to each other isn't that amazing mm. the pressure he's really sick his family over he's like he's lost this series 4-0 he's trying to keep it up all himself but his instinct was to go are you okay and mate? he can summon that empathy naturally and you wrote really beautifully about his empathy um, with the West Indies incident obviously yeah. um, oh thank you so, mate yeah you did um, thanks very much but I thought that's really nice how he's been able to embrace what was natural to him yeah and feed it into part of his personality and start winning games ring. I think that's super cool. Yeah, well said, well said. Um, anything else, Felix White, that you are you have in the pipeline this summer or is it just a case of trawling around the, the provinces of England watching watching um, this World um, Cup unfold? I'm, I'm writing a book for a cricketer. Lovely. But I don't know if we can mention that yet. Well, we, we, we haven't, have we? I'm ghostwriting his, <laughs> I'm ghostwriting his book. Who could it be, Ben, I wonder? Yeah, I don't know. Um, and okay. I'm, and I'm... Uh, <laughs> I make a this what you will. I'm continuing to do my podcast. <laughs> right, brilliant. With Greg James, Jimmy Anderson. I'm, I'm unaware of this. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that'll be me. Hopefully, that's okay. enough, isn't it? That's big, fine. Big plans for for tailenders this summer. You got any uh, another oh, tailenders game? Oh, Ben, don't we agree? There's going to be uh, there's there's definitely going to be stuff. A tailenders yeah. ashes contest. I hope there's not me too many actual more games because that was um, a borderline horrendous a traumatic nightmare for me. <laughs> and having to bat against uh, Michael Bourne and that. Mm. Mm. Well, we, I still don't talk to you about that because I was overlooked for the I final know, 11, babe. but hey-ho, moving, moving on, moving on. Um, okay, just finally, before we go, Ben Gardner, who's seated right here, congratulations, mate, commended in the ECB's Young Cricket Journalist of the Year. Highly commended, I would say. Um, it's massive. It is huge. Uh, thank, it's huge. Thank you very much. Uh, obviously, congratulations to Izzy Westbury, a very, very worthy winner. Yeah. Uh, broadcast of the year last year, I think. Yes. Yeah. Uh, lawyer by day, cricket journalist she's by night. Cleaning up. Uh, yeah. For Middlesex captain, she's 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 got it all. Brilliant. Yeah. All right. On that nice note, I think we're done here. Felix White, cheers for joining us Pleasure, as ever. Um, and Ben Gardner, uh, onwards and upwards. More more awards coming your way. <laughs> uh, cheers for listening, folks. As ever, uh, I've been Phil Walker. This has been episode twenty of the Wisdom Cricket Weekly podcast. Uh, join us again next week on all the usual platforms, and please go and buy Wisdom Cricket Monthly magazine. It really is the best magazine in the world. Cheers, folks. See ya. And if you like it, share it and subscribe. What he said. Sports Social Podcast Network.